For all your fantasy football needs, check out the Ringer Fantasy Football Show with me, Danny Kelly, along with Danny Heifetz and Craig Horlbeck. That's the Ringer Fantasy Football Show on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Town is brought to you by FX's Feud, Capote versus the Swans. The second installment in Ryan Murphy's Feud anthology tells the story of acclaimed writer Truman Capote, once a confidant to society's most elite women, whom he nicknamed the Swans. Starring Naomi Watts, Diane Lane, Chloe Sevigny, Calista Flockhart, Demi Moore, Molly Ringwald, and Tom Hollander. For your Emmy consideration, visit fxnetworks.com FYC. This episode is brought to you by Netflix, presenting The Crown as the beloved series bids farewell. Deserving of praise on every level, says New York Magazine. Throughout its groundbreaking six-season run, The Crown has featured three different casts, earned 273 award nominations, and secured 70 award wins, including outstanding drama series. Critics rave, The Crown secures its place in the pantheon of television history. From creator and writer Peter Morgan, the final season stars Imelda Staunton, Dominic West, and SAG Award winner Elizabeth Debicki. The Crown, for your Emmy consideration in all categories. It is Wednesday, November 22nd. This podcast is typically an Elon-free safe space. It's enough media coverage, especially since he paid $44 billion for the website formerly known as Twitter last year. That's not going great. Last week, pretty much all the Hollywood studios joined other blue-chip advertisers in pulling ads from X over anti-Semitic content that appeared next to their brands. Not great. Then Elon, who calls himself a free speech absolutist, sued Media Matters, claiming its free speech cost him money. Good luck with that. But the whole Twitter circus raises an issue that we do care about on this show. It actually informs most of the topics we talk about. Slowly and then all at once, Hollywood has become consumed by Silicon Valley. The tech companies now rule entertainment, everything from Netflix becoming the first truly global television network to Apple spending billions on TV shows with A-list stars and releasing a Martin Scorsese movie, to Amazon taking over Thursday Night Football. When I talk to agents and producers around town, one of their greatest fears is that Apple and Amazon will soon just decide they don't want to be in Hollywood anymore. It could happen, and that would have catastrophic impact. Yet entertainment is not the core business of big tech, of course. And in many cases, like Google with YouTube and Facebook with its products, the whole business model is to try and steal attention away from traditional media. It's a tough situation for people who make traditional media. Apple is worth $3 trillion these days, even including Netflix. All of the traditional entertainment companies combined don't even get to a third of that value. And as we know, scale matters. It's informing every major decision in Hollywood over the next decade. So I wanted to pull back a little today and do a show about how big tech views Hollywood these days. We've got Peter Kafka in here. He's the senior correspondent at Vox and host of Recode Media. And he's got a new season of his Land of the Giants podcast about, yes, Twitter. We'll talk a little bit about that, although we recorded before the latest dust-up. Today, it's Big Tech and Hollywood. From The Ringer and Puck, I'm Matt Bellany, and this is The Tech. All right, we are here with Peter Kafka, who is a senior correspondent at Vox and the very, very talented host of the Recode Media podcast, which I listen to often. Welcome. Hey, Matt. Nice to be on your podcast. You're on mine periodically. You're great. I know. You've always been very nice to invite me on your show. I hope I deliver. Do the ratings go way up when I appear? You, you have the best like ratings me. of all time. The biggest, the best, the most. <laughs> I'm going to Donald Trump you. Yeah. Big, biggest ratings of all time. Except not. 
All right. So we're going to talk a little bit about your show that you have. You have a very good podcast about Elon Musk and Twitter and everything that's been going on there. Uh, but I wanted to pull back a little bit at first here because a lot of the topics we talk about on this show are informed by the macro economy in media, which is necessarily informed by the tech companies because entertainment is becoming tech, is becoming entertainment. And it's all intertwined now. And you have your finger on the pulse of what's going on in the big media, big tech world. So I wanted just to start by asking you, like, what do you think the view these days is of Hollywood and the entertainment world from the perch of Silicon Valley and the tech giants that I think are sort of looking down on all this nonsense and being like, ha 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 ha, these silly mortals, you know, they're playing their strike game and they're trying to figure out whether a $200 million movie makes sense in theaters anymore. Play your games. We're going to tell you what the real is going to be. I think that's half right. I think that's the view they have about television or <laughs> sure. linear TV networks. They've pretty consistently really interested in people who can make entertainment. You know, you've seen Apple for for years kicking the tires on various studios. Um, they talked about HBO at one point. But never pulled the trigger. Never pulled the trigger. Didn't pull the trigger on MGM, but Amazon did. True. But where do you stand on the whole Apple's going to buy Disney rumor? I'm very anti. I think I don't think Apple wants to deal with theme parks. I think Bob Iger might want them to buy Disney, but I don't think they're going to. Yeah, that's that's 100%. It, it solves a problem for Bob Iger. I don't see how it helps Tim Cook in any way. Maybe there's a world where Disney skinnies itself down like Time Warner did years ago to sort of prep itself for a sale. But I don't see how Disney can get rid of theme parks, right? That's, that's, that's so much tougher for Disney because it's a brand. It's the infamous Walt flywheel. You carve off theme parks or you carve off television or you carve off sports or any of these things. Yeah, you could do it. But Disney, it all serves each other at one point. Maybe not sports, but the rest of it serves each other. I don't see how it helps Apple in any way. So if you, if you, if you got deeper thoughts than that, go. But, but I, this seems to be sort of wish casting. And Apple is going to buy this company. has been around as long as I've been covering tech. <laughs> One day it could change. And by the way, like I do think Apple buying Beats for $3 billion basically to start a streaming business that it could have started for $50 million, tells you a little bit about sort of Tim Cook's insecurity when it comes to this stuff, that he might overpay for something that he doesn't need to. But that's different than buying all of Disney. Do you think Apple is happy with its foray into Hollywood? I think they like the Halo, right? Why wouldn't they like but the Halo? But is it good business or is well, it just a brand it, Halo? It doesn't matter. I mean, I don't know if you saw the news this week. Google was paying them $18 billion a year. I saw uh, 30, 36%. 30%. Yeah. So whenever you hear an earnings report from Apple saying, oh, our, our services business is, is going up and that's you know reflective of Apple TV. That's not true at all. That's all about the App Store and it's about payments from Google. It's a boring answer, but TV is still just basically a marketing expense for Apple. But why do it? Is it a marketing expense? Do they get a tangible value out of the morning show or Killers of the Flower Moon? Or is I it just a chance for Tim Cook to dress up and go to the Oscars? I, you know, for years, I thought, well, neither neither Tim Cook or Jeff Bezos are interested in Hollywood. They're not going to spend billions of dollars just to go to to uh, red carpet affairs. And that turned out to be at least half wrong. <laughs> well, um, Bezos is his own animal. I mean, I, yeah, I, I, it I remember I used be. to see that guy at the Golden Globes and it was he was very happy to be at the Golden Globes. He threw a party at his house and invited people like me just to talk about Manchester by the sea and mingle with Matt Damon. And like that, that was enough for him. 
I went to a Jeff Bezos house party in 2016, but I was struck by the fact that it seemed to be entirely undecorated. Like it seemed <laughs> well, to be we clearly a party. It was a, it was a, it was for titans of industry and also me. But not for a movie, not for a, no, was, no. The, the one I went to at his house in Beverly Hills was for Manchester by the Sea, and it was in one of those Oscar campaign parties, and he hosted it. And uh, this was pre Lauren Sanchez, but yeah, he was very excited to be in the midst. Yeah, of and he did. He did have a whole pre Lauren Sanchez way of presenting himself that's markedly different. His whole thing was, <laughs> oh, I don't, I, I don't have to worry about work life balance because I love my work, but also I, I don't pay any attention to sports, so I just grind all day. And and that yeah. Jeff is this gone. is before he turned into a roided out supervillain. But yes, it's wild. So you think that Apple is just like fine? We'll spend three hundred million dollars on a Brad Pitt F one movie. Do it. Yeah, I mean, do remember that they did spend years trying to crack TV. That was Steve Jobs' last idea. It was some sort of blended TV with a service. And then for years afterwards, Eddie Q and Tim Cook were trying to convince the TV guys to let them bundle basically what we would now call YouTube Live or Hulu Live and couldn't get it to the price they wanted, et cetera. Walked away, sort of publicly said, we're done they didn't say because we can't get a deal done. But then they also said, we also think this stuff is going to decline year over year. And eventually this stuff will become less important and people will migrate to streaming on their own. And they were mostly right about that. It's just less crucial for them to sort of crack this because it's already being cracked. But they must know that the battleground here is not who has the best shows. It's who is going to be the interface through which we access Internet enabled streaming television. And my colleague at Puck, Julie Alexander, wrote a piece about this this week about how that's the real battle here between Amazon and Google via YouTube and Apple and Roku and anyone else who wants to get in the game. They want to be essentially the browser for television, the first place you go. The next gen TV guide, right? And right. Rupert Murdoch was trying to do this 30 years yes. ago. Everyone wants to try to do this. It makes some sense, except that I think the reality is, is you're going to turn on your device and whatever is powering your device is going to be that guide. But that could be Apple. It could be, but I've got a TCL Roku TV. And so by default, they're my guide. And that's a good business, but it's not it's not what people imagine. Also, because when they were talking about this for decades, they weren't imagining YouTube and TikTok. And so it's kind of fighting the last battle, I think. It, is it? Would it be great for Apple if they could control sort of where people came for premium content? Sure, they would like that. They'd like to sell that, right? They, they'd like to be in the business of selling HBO subscriptions, et cetera. Amazon's in that, YouTube's in that. Yeah, Amazon definitely wants that. I mean, it's, it's consistent with their business model. They sell you everything else. Why wouldn't they sell you HBO? But I think that that also, you know, if you, t if you look at or talk to any tween or teen, this is totally irrelevant. Because the portal for them is TikTok slash YouTube. I know, it's such a joke. We talk about the streaming wars, but the real power in streaming is YouTube. It's the biggest streaming service in the world. Yeah, and totally ignored by our class of people for a bunch of reasons. I think we mostly don't get it. I think people are starting to get their head around the, the idea that TikTok is very important, but YouTube is still tremendously undercovered by our peers. Yeah, I know. It's just because they do a different thing. They don't care. They don't have to deal with unions. They don't have to deal with Brad Pitt. They don't have to deal with any of it. It's kind of, it's the most amazing business in the world if you're in the content business because your customers create the content. It's glamour free. No one's, no one, you know, no one can tell you the name of, uh, oh my God, what's, what is his name? Um, who's the most popular YouTuber right now? Mr. Beast. Mr. Beast, right? He can't tell you what that guy's name is or what he looks yeah. like or what he does. And by the way, he's not 
everyone on YouTube doesn't love him, but he's got a huge core audience that loves him. And that's what matters. Yeah. And that's why I getting back to my original question. I think if you're at Google and you're looking at what's going on in Hollywood and you're at Amazon or Apple and you're saying, oh, really? Okay. The actors and the writers are on strike for six months. Like, okay, just go do that. Play your silly games. We're just going to continue chugging along. The market share on YouTube is going to increase. Apple and Amazon, they didn't even bother to participate in the strike negotiations. They let the Hollywood people do that. And they're just like, yeah, whatever. Let us know when you're done. But let's be clear. They still think this stuff is important. It's just not crucial for them. Amazon is spending a lot of time still trying to figure out what its strategy is, how to communicate that to your town. They're still trying to figure out. Five years in. They're trying to hire someone to be that person to communicate to you. I mean, that's crazy that they haven't figured that out yet. YouTube spent a gazillion dollars for for NFL rights. They think this stuff is important in terms of movies and television shows, much less important. Yeah. The sports stuff is interesting because we are in the middle of this migration and we're seeing it one by one. Slowly, the sports rights move over to streaming. There were some interesting comments by John Malone, who is the very rich and powerful cable magnet who kind of went off and sounded the alarm. I know he's done this in the past. He does it every year. I know, I know. But it's interesting. His perspective is interesting. His quote is, all media better figure out how to get together with old distribution, i.e. cable, and save each other's ass or they're all going to be in the frying pan. And he's specifically talking about sports where Amazon took over Thursday Night Football and Apple is taking over MLS and airing baseball now and the NBA rights are probably going to go to a streaming service in the A package and maybe they'll you know st- keep some broadcast just to keep their audience up. But Malone isn't wrong, is he? Well, let's be clear, right? He's the self-interest there is of I course, own a bunch yeah, of cable assets and I, and I want to bundle those. I don't see the NFL moving to an all streaming reality maybe ever, certainly not for a long time. What they've been very good about is slicing off a piece of the rights. Oh, oh, Thursday night is now available. That could go to, remember it went to Twitter at one point? It will sell it to you, Amazon. I think that's what people believe will happen with the NBA rights, that it's some sort of combination of ESPN and Turner will keep the bulk of it, and then they'll slice off, you know, some lower interest stuff to Amazon or whoever wants to pay up for the ability to say they have sports on their streaming service. It works really well for the NFL. I think the NBA could probably pull that off. And I think ESPN and Turner would go for it. You know, when you get to the lower tier stuff, the MLSs of the world, the MLBs of the world, I don't know that it matters so much. This episode is brought to you by Netflix, presenting The Crown as the beloved series bids farewell. Deserving of praise on every level, says New York Magazine. Throughout its groundbreaking six-season run, The Crown has featured three different casts, earned 273 award nominations, and secured 70 award wins, including outstanding drama series. Critics rave, The Crown secures its place in the pantheon of television history. From creator and writer Peter Morgan, the final season stars Imelda Staunton, Dominic West, and SAG Award winner Elizabeth Debicki. The Crown, for your Emmy consideration in all categories. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. 
Media is an ad business, and these traditional media companies have depended on advertising for the entirety of their existence since television was invented, even radio. And for the most part, that is all going to the tech companies and the streaming platform. So they got to figure it out. I do think that the streamers, the tech guys, sort of new embrace of advertising on their content is pretty interesting, especially for Amazon, because they are real players there. People don't realize that Amazon Prime Video, which we all have gotten for free based on our Prime subscription, is going to cost three bucks a month very soon if we don't take ads in the shows. I think that's going to be a rude awakening for a lot of people. To the extent people care about Amazon shows and watch them, and I do watch some stuff on Amazon, that's annoying. Yeah, I mean, you look at the rise slash success of Tubi, Pluto, and again, YouTube, free ad-supported stuff indicates there's a significant audience there that is very happy to get free or low-priced stuff, um, that it matters a lot to them to not pay something or to save $5 a month or $3 a month to get it for free. I say this all the time to my friend that works at Tubi. I'm like, people like free. They love free. Free is good. Um, also, yeah, Tubi's an interesting story. I mean, both Pluto and Tubi were both seen as both Fox and CBS Paramount needed to do something in streaming but didn't have the assets to to do it or the interest in doing it. So they bought these fairly low-priced sort of mishmash apps. Um, and they have both done a really good job of feeding their content, other people's content, and do it and making it into real businesses. Yeah, and it's tiered. I mean, most of the other media companies have now followed suit where there is a premium product that is ad-free. There is a mid-level subscription product that has ads, but you have to pay for. And then there is the lower tier product, which is free, has the worst content, but has stuff, some stuff. It's like the equivalent of just like leaving the TV on in the afternoon. And they even make it look like the old TV services where you can flip around and watch, you know, 24 hours of Three's Company if you want to. Like, not a bad idea. I do think a lot about what it means for our society, but also <laughs> economics and business plans. If, <laughs> if dare if, you. Are you a Roper's Three's Company guy or a Mr. Furley Three's Company guy? I'm really a Chrissy Three's Company guy. Oh, that's, you, that's, you, that's the you're imprint. an absolutist. You did not watch after Suzanne Summers left? I just watched whatever was on, but Chrissy is the thing that reminds me. It sticks in my head for various See, reasons. See, I, I celebrate the entire catalog. I was a fan of Cindy who replaced <laughs> Chrissy. Uh, I was also a fan of Terry. She was the smart one. But, you know, the through line was Jack Tripper, John Ritter, comedic genius. But uh, again, we, we are digressing. The ads question brings us to Elon Musk and Twitter, which you have now done a whole podcast about because Twitter is an advertising business. And when Elon Musk took over Twitter, he kind of killed the ad business. It's not going great. He says ads are down by 60%. Yep. And he's allowing whatever content anyone wants to be on the platform with certain exceptions. What I don't understand is Elon is a very smart guy and bought this for a lot of money, brought in Linda Yaccarino, an experienced advertising executive from NBC Universal to run this. Everybody is telling him that if you want to have an ads business, you have to have content moderation and make it a semi-safe place for brands to be. And he has consistently rejected that. How do you reconcile the smart businessman with the free speech absolutist that is like, screw you guys, we're not doing any content moderation? The core question for me is, how do you reconcile the guy who built SpaceX and the guy who built Tesla with the guy who clearly doesn't understand what he's doing at Twitter? And either he's lost his mind 
or it's just a fundamentally different business that he doesn't have a sense of. And, and, and he is a Twitter super user. He assumes that everyone will use Twitter the way he does. I will say that he has been pretty consistent since he bought the thing saying, actually, this is going to be a paid product. There'll be some sort of free version, but basically it's going to be a freemium thing where if you want a good version of Twitter, you will pay for it. And that is the best way to make this thing work. In between when he announced he was going to buy it, when he actually bought it, there was that lawsuit where he tried to get out of the deal. But in between all of that, he floated this business plan the New York Times had, which is totally fanciful. It was like, we're going to increase the user base from 200 million to a billion. Everything was going to go up and up and up. Yeah, when you charge people, the user base goes down, not up. Yes, but his his idea was this service that I think is so valuable, everyone else believes is so valuable, even though it's clearly not the case. It's crucial and thus people will pay for it. And that to me is you start with that fundamental mistake understanding of how the thing is going to work and everything else fades from that. He is the ad problem, by the way. It's not just that there's, you know, no moderation. It's that he himself is the thing that freaks out advertisers. Yeah, he posts stuff that's arguably anti-Semitic. He floats he can't conspiracy help theories. He's, he's not a, a, a normal owner of a business to say, oh, I'm the problem. I'm going to find some way to remove myself from that. But he will never do that. Why? It's just not smart. It's not smart business. You can't complain and try to shame people into advertising on your product when you yourself are not acting responsibly. Is that like too sane of a question to ask? <laughs> I asked these questions for a year and then stopped asking them because it's quite clear like he is dug in. But start with the fact that he paid $44 billion for a company basically as an impulse buy, mm -hmm. right? So that's what we're talking about. He is an addicted Twitter user addicted to Twitter and views the thing in a way that other people don't view it, uses it a way that other people don't use it, is, and he's totally locked in. Everyone who knows him well that I've been able to talk to says he will not back out of this thing. Um, he is, he's a stubborn guy. He's going to stick at it. And he can run it the way he wants to without suffering too much pain. He's fired 80% of the company. His costs are way down. So if he has just a little bit of advertising, you know, if he can get a billion dollars a year and he can restructure his debt, he can probably run it as sort of a, a break-even proposition. For him, that might be entirely worth it. That's too bad because people have asked me why I'm still on there and I, why I still post. And I always thought that he would lose interest in this. And in a year, he would sell it for a huge loss. Someone else would buy it and it would come back. No, I think he's dug in. I also, we're, not, we're not getting it back. Yeah, you say on the pod, it's got dead mall energy. He's yeah, yeah. It's one of the people we interviewed, Jason Parham. Yeah, we had a whole bunch of sort of metaphors about showing up to the It's the end of the party. The party was better when you were, when you weren't there. It's too bad. But why is that? So a lot of the Hollywood people have left. And it's interesting because the studios have always looked at Twitter as incredibly powerful and they are incredibly afraid of it because the conversation that surrounds a movie or a show can quickly turn <laughs> on Twitter. And it can have, in the past at least, it can have an impact. More so, I think, than places like Facebook or Instagram, although those are popular. That's now shifted to TikTok, obviously. But Twitter did have a big impact on movies for about a decade there. So the way that Twitter ad salespeople used to sell Twitter because they didn't have the reach, right? Yes, they had about 200 million people, which is not very much compared to a YouTube or a Google, a Facebook and Instagram. They would basically say, this is how you reach blue elite media influence people on the coast. That's what you're reaching. 
there. Mm-hmm. You're not you're not getting maximum reach. You're getting the Matt Bellanies of the world. And you know you'd see Apple advertising there. Apple doesn't need to advertise on Twitter to sell products, but they thought it was they thought it was an influential place to be, which is also, by the way, what Elon thought it was an influential place to be. But he is now pushed a lot of those folks out, they're not going to come back. They don't need to come back. They've moved on. So where have they moved on to? Is Threads going to be the Twitter killer? Because I'm on Threads too. And it's like, picking up. It's I picking post up. there. But it's, it's also not a place that I go to when I want to find out what's going on in the world. I don't think there is a replacement for it. I think that was a once in a generation thing. We'll find other places. Um, there is still an audience. And that's one of the things I, I, I talked about in this last episode. It's called Land of the Giants. It's on a separate feed. You search for it. It's great. People have inertia online. We have this idea that you flip from service to service. But a lot of people sort of, and especially people, uh, like we spend a lot of time here talking about black Twitter, people who have carved out their own space. It's important to them. They don't care who the owners are. They're not leaving anytime soon. And there's lots of Twitter subcultures that say it's fine. We don't care who runs it. It works well enough. Our, our community is still here. The people who listen to the town, they have probably moved on from Twitter and they're not going to come back. Interesting. So where do you suggest that I post my wares for people to see them? Well, this is the standard media advice now is make your homepage the new destination because you own that and you don't have to worry about distribution. You don't have to worry about the whims of a, you know, if you go to threads, what happens if Adam Masseri decides one day that the algorithm is going to be shifted or you can no longer search for strike related news or whatever it is. Trust me, I was running Hollywood Reporter during the pivot to video when everybody was chasing the Facebook dollars that were coming from their video initiative. And then one day they're like, oh yeah, we're not doing that anymore. It's like, well, wait a second. We started a whole video studio for you. Because you told us to do it. Right. Um, Yeah, no, I think the sad, boring truth is everyone is going to have to play in all the different streams. And what will everyone who's been through this round of media in the last 10 years will know, all right, we got to be on TikTok, but we're not going all in on TikTok because we can't trust TikTok. No matter what they tell us today, it'll change tomorrow. Um, And that's the new reality. Why hasn't Elon tried to buy a Hollywood studio or launch any kind of entertainment company? He clearly loves film and TV. He's friends with mm-hmm. John Favreau. He did a cameo in Iron Man 2. He's hosted SNL. I remember seeing him at the Force Awakens premiere, the Star Wars premiere. Like The guy clearly likes this community and likes the, the content. Why doesn't he just buy something? Remember when he's going to launch his own version of The Onion? Oh, right. But that was mostly because they were making fun of him. But also, he he likes comedy, right? He thinks yeah. he's a funny guy. He's on right, SNL. Right, right. He went on stage with Dave Chappelle. So why not? Why didn't he buy MGM? Why didn't he? You know, why doesn't he buy something or, or, and try to make his version of entertainment? He might, but I, you know, he likes that immediate feedback, right? He likes being told he's great. He likes trolling people. That's that's the thing you get from Twitter that you don't get from owning half of James Bond's output. Maybe someday. Maybe Elon will buy Paramount or something. He can put himself in Mission Impossible with Tom Cruise. You know, that's the great thing about super rich people and super rich companies, whether it's Apple or Elon, is you can you can you can um you can fantasize slash ship any any arrangement you want because it's all financially possible. Yes. And they're doing an Elon movie now. I reported in my newsletter that A twenty four got the rights to the Walter Isaacson book. Um I heard actually a little more on that. The pitch from Darren Aronofsky Uh, He's still doing his take on what it's going to be, but it's going to focus on the SpaceX era. So it will not be about Elon and Twitter. It'll be about, you know, rockets. Yeah, exactly. Who is going to be Elon? Who are you going to cast? I don't know. I floated some names. I liked Michael Fassbender. I thought he'd be great, but he already played Steve Jobs, so I doubt he would do this. He did just play a a crazy, psychotic person on Netflix. He did. It's got to be someone with the requisite level of crazy. Like, I think a Shia LaBeouf would be good. 
Benedict Cumberbatch, maybe. Um, somebody suggested Johnny Depp, but I think he's maybe a little too old for that era. No. Yeah. yeah. They are friends, though. But uh, and apparently I've heard that that Elon was involved, not involved, but Walter Isaacson was like letting him know about the process of shopping the movie. Right. So I think Elon knows that Darren Aronofsky, uh, he knew. In Look, you got to bring his his BFF, Ari Emanuel, on to ask him all these questions. I can't I can't I can't. <laughs> I, I don't can't think Ari that. did the sale. I, I, I think Walter is not at WME, but uh, I'm sure he's getting advice. From Look, him. Ari was hosing off Elon. He can figure out how to get involved. I hope that makes it in the movie. The Who's going to play Ari hosing down Elon on a yacht? <laughs> all right thank you very much peter appreciate the time thank you all right we're back with the call sheet craig you got a big choice this weekend you got wish the disney movie you've got napoleon the ridley scott movie with joaquin phoenix then you got some smaller movies like holdovers is going wider and Saltburn uh with your boy jacob alordi that's going a little wider this weekend yeah, but that's not really, I, I can't see any of those because there's three days with football over a, my four-day weekend. There's I know. Thursday, Friday, and Sunday football. It's funny. The Black Friday game on Amazon, I actually think is going to cut into the box office a little bit this weekend because Friday is traditionally a pretty big movie-going day. Well, and not only that, it's not a 5 p.m. game like you'd expect either. So you couldn't even sneak a midday movie in oh, with wow. your child because that. the game is at noon Pacific on Friday. Well, I guess they got to prime you to go out and spend money on Amazon. So they got to, you know, put the commercials for shopping during the game. That's right. All right. So the tracking on Wish is 50 million for the weekend. And that's a tough one because this and Disney has so much riding on this. They really need a hit from their animated division right out of the bat. I mean, Elemental from Pixar ended up doing fine. Uh, but last year at this time, they had Strange World, which grossed open to 19 million over the five-day Thanksgiving. Total disaster. And Disney Animation, Walt Disney Animation, they need a hit here. And uh, I don't know that Wish is going to get there. I want it to. I picked it in my box office draft. But I'm going to take the under on $50 million for Wish. Yeah, the movie looks good. But... It looks fine. It looks exactly what it is. But the reviews have been bad. The reviews are like in the 50s on Rotten Tomatoes. And I was a little surprised by that. Not that that really matters, but if you look back at Frozen, open to 93 million over this weekend. This is typically a Disney animation weekend. They always try to open a movie over Thanksgiving. Frozen 2 got to 127 million opening. 50 is a big drop, but I don't think it's going to get there. Sadly, this is just a tough time. I mean, all these movies lately have been underperforming other than the uh, the horror stuff. Do you feel the same about Napoleon? Napoleon, I do. Honestly, like the tracking is at about 23 million for Napoleon. I'm still a little confused about who the audience is for this movie. I know it's sort of the dad demo. Mm -hmm. um, my brother-in-law was interested in this one. My dad wants to see it and um, we'll see if it gets there, but I doubt it. I just don't think Apple, this is another Apple movie. They paid too much for this movie and Sony's releasing this one for them, not Paramount. So could be another underperformer for Apple uh, after Killers of the Flower Moon. But yeah, are you interested in that? I will see Napoleon. I don't, I'm not going to rush out and see it this weekend. I agree with you on the under. It, it just doesn't feel like it has a lot of juice right now. This feels like a movie that would have come out 10 years ago and done a lot better. Oh yeah, of course. I mean, all these movies would have done better 10 years ago. But this specifically, it's like a Ridley Scott, Joaquin Phoenix, Napoleon biopic. I just think right now, I'm not sure people are going to rush out to see this. 
No. And there's a lot of stuff out there. I mean, Hunger Games is still there. Uh, Marvel seems to be falling off a cliff, but it's out there. And then a lot of these prestige movies are expanding a little wider. I, I actually still haven't seen The Holdovers. I, I got to see that. Yeah, I haven't seen that either, but I do want to. It looks good. Yeah, it could be a pretty bleak December. I mean, we'll talk about that, but not a lot going on over the next month. It's Wonka month, Office, Matt. So. <laughs> it is Wonka month. We'll celebrate the entire month. Uh, no, there is a Wonka LA premiere. You and I need to go. We'll dress up. I'll wear my giant hat. All right, that's the show for today. I want to thank my guest, Peter Kafka. I want to thank producer Greg Horbeck, our editor, Jesse Lopez. And I want to thank you. We will see you next week. Happy Thanksgiving. <laughs>